0: I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep, faith keep the faith, keep the faith Keep the faith, keep the faith What's up guys, Brian Ratliff here Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. 1906. That was the year of the world's first full-length film. It was produced for the very first time in the beginning of the 1900s. The title of the film was The Story of the Kelly Gang, made in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia in 1906. It was produced on a budget of just under (laughs) $2,200. That couldn't buy you anything today in the film business. And it was about 60 to 70 minutes in length and opened at the Melbourne Town Hall on December 26, 1906. I'm sure many of us today would have thought the very first film, or at least maybe some of the young people, would have thought the first film was The Wizard of Oz. But no, it surely was not. That said, what is your favorite part About going to the movie theaters? Is it sitting in the big room, seeing that huge screen? Is it sitting in that nice, comfortable seat? Is it getting some of the overpriced refreshments, the popcorn and the drink that'll cost you a fortune? Is it the movie itself, or is it maybe the previews? Now, let me ask you this Are you the kind of person that gets there before the previews begin, or you wait till? 20 minutes after the preview start to walk into the movie theater. Well, as we come to our passage today, I want you to understand that, that just as we would go to a movie theater and we watch a movie, and we would get there a little bit before the movie starts to see these previews of other movies that are going to come out, and Revelation chapter 14 really begin in verses 1 through 5, this is literally God's exclusive preview show about what's going to take place. And so today I want to label the title of my sermon with these few words, God's exclusive preview show. God's exclusive preview show. That is, if you want to know what's going to happen in the days to come, then this passage is going to just lay it out. But remember, in chapters 12 and 13 and really 14, they're kind of designed to be studied as a unit. And in chapters 12 and 13, we see the seven really key figures of the tribulation period or the apocalypse. You have the nation of Israel. You have the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You have Satan himself, who's called the dragon here in Revelation 12. You have Michael, the archangel. You have the remnant of God's people. And by the way, no matter what age our world is ever in, God always has a remnant and he always has a people that are going to live their lives for Jesus Christ. Then as we transition to chapter 13, and we looked at last week and the week before, that the Antichrist is going to come on the scene, and then the false prophet is going to come on the scene, and the false prophet is going to preach in a way that's going to deceive everybody who's not the chosen people of God and lead them to worship the beast exclusively and to receive his mark. And that being said, as we come to Revelation chapter 14, you've probably noticed a key word here, our key phrase, and that is the 144,000. There's only two times the Bible mentions the 144,000 people. And before we dive into this sermon today and this message in this text, I just want you to know that if you want to understand who the 144,000 people are, you need to read Revelation chapter 7 and you need to read Revelation chapter 14. And I believe that the Bible gives us 12 distinctive characteristics of this 144,000 people. So if somebody comes and knocks on your door or somebody tries to tell you who they think the 144,000 are or, or they, might, they might think they're part of it, I want you to understand this, that, that here is the 12 characteristics. And I'm just going to roll through these. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 2, the 144,000 will have the seal of the living God. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, the 144,000 are going to be called servants of God. And then in Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 through 8, it speaks about how they will be 12,000 men from each tribe of Israel. In Revelation chapter 14, the first part of verse number 1, they will stand with Christ on Mount Zion. The second part of verse 1, they will have God's name written on their foreheads. Remember, that will be like the seal mark that God has for them, just as the enemy in the tribulation period is going to have the mark of the beast on the forehead or on the right hand. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 2, they will sing an exclusive worship song to the Lamb that nobody else on earth will be able to sing and learn. In verse number 3, they will be redeemed. That means purchased and bought back here on this earth. In verse number 4, The first part of that verse, it speaks about how they will be celibate and they will be totally committed to the work of God. The second part of verse 4 speaks about how they will follow Christ wherever he calls them to go. Then the last part of verse 4, it says that they will be the first fruits of God's redeemed in the tribulation period. In other words, they are going to be redeemed. They are going to be gloriously marvelously saved, and they are going to be, in a sense, a first first fruit offering to be used by God to share the gospel in that time period. In verse 5, they will speak with no guile or no deceit. And then the last part of verse 5, they will stand faultless or blameless before the throne of God. As we come here to this passage, as you study chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, you study chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, you will understand that there's kind of two ways to view this 144,000 people. Number one is a lot of people out there are going to view this as an as a, um, analogy or a symbolic approach to the entire people of God that will be saved. But or you have a futurist view like myself and like our church, we hold to that this will be an exclusive group of men that God will raise up in the tribulation period. And, and in Revelation chapter 7, it gives the idea that, that they will be used to lead many people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God will have his seal of mark on them, but also his seal of protection around them. And that all of the plagues, all of the diseases, all of the catastrophe that will be going on in this world, that God will send and all of the judgment that the Antichrist will send, God will protect them from both. And they will live all the way to the end of the tribulation period and will be used to help populate the millennial kingdom in the days to come. Now, I know that's a lot to take in, and as we come to this verse, verse 1 through 5, we have to ask ourselves a question. What can we learn about the Christian life from these 144,000 servants of Christ? Well, I want to share with you really two thoughts today. The first thought is going to come from verses 1 through 3, and then the second thought is going to come from verses 4 and 5. But before I give you that, I want to share a key thought today that if you walk away with anything, this is what I want you to walk away with from this message and from these five verses. God calls every believer to dedicate their life to declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. God calls every believer to dedicate their life to declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the Christian life. That is your calling and that is my calling. And we all have that calling in our lives, and it will be manifested in different, unique ways. My calling is to be a pastor and to preach God's word, really, for the rest of my life. And your calling may not be that calling, and that's okay. The body of Christ is kind of like our earthly body. The thumb cannot do what the pinky can do, and the foot cannot do what the knee can do. So every individual has his or her place in the body of Christ and to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, that being said, there are two things we can learn about the Christian life from these 144,000 evangelists. And the first one is from verses one through three. And here's the first thought today Believers are called to exclusively dedicate their lives to Christ. Believers are called to exclusively dedicate their lives to Christ. Let's look at the first three verses. There's a lot of exclusive things going on in our world. But understand this. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a child of God, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called, you've been summoned by God to commit and dedicate your life to serve him. Verse number one, the Bible says that John now understand the phraseology here that John is using. Every time he says, and I looked, as we're reading the Apocalypse, as we're reading the book of Revelation, it's a transition. So we've just seen these seven key figures of chapter 12 and chapter 13. And now John sees a new vision, if you will, within this whole vision. And he sees, first of all, the Lamb. Going back to the throne room of God, the Lamb of God. This is Jesus Christ he is seeing. And he sees this Christ on Mount Zion. Mount Zion. And now throughout the Old and New Testaments alike, you know that there are times when Mount Zion is referring to the very central place in the land of Israel, and at times it may be referring to the heavenly Zion or heaven. So scholars are at debate about, is this the earthly Zion in Jerusalem, or is it the heavenly Zion? And really, it could probably be interpreted both ways, but there's reasons why I believe it is a future place right here on this earth, not speaking about heaven. And the reason why is here, the Bible says that, that Jesus is, is on this mountain, he's standing there, and he has these 144,000 people. And if we understand these 144,000 to be men that were raised up to totally serve God, they're going to be standing with Christ at the very end of this tribulation period, They are to populate the millennium. And we know Jesus is going to come again. And so in this chapter, it's interesting, when John sees his vision, sometimes in our American mindset, we like everything to be in a chronological fashion. Like, show me what's going to happen on day one, then tell me day two, etc. But here in John's vision, sometimes, especially right here in this case, he sees this portion of the tribulation, then he sees another portion of it. And so what we believe here is this is John seeing kind of the ins. The ending of the tribulation period when Christ has returned and now he's about to establish his kingdom. But as I read verse 1a, the first part here, where it speaks about how John looks, he sees this lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, the 144,000 people. I think about this. How can we dedicate our lives to Christ? I mean, how can we exclusively dedicate our life to Christ? Well, here's the thought I want to share with you. Dedicate your life to Christ by standing with him. Dedicate your life to Christ by standing with him. Here we see these 144,000 men, and they are standing with Christ on this mountain. Now, I know that as, as we have all began to grow in our Christian walk, we know that the more we study scripture, we know that there are at times not as many hills to die on that we thought we should die on. But I want you to understand this that there's a hill that Jesus died on 2000 years ago and it was Mount Calvary. And on that mountain, Jesus there he bled, he 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 was he was beaten and there he was placed upon that old rugged cross so that we could experience life and have it more abundantly. And then he was placed in that borrowed tomb and he rose again. And the Bible says that that after his resurrection he was seen of over 500 men and then he was gloriously taken up into heaven, and the Bible says he's coming back again, and so I've studied scripture for these last several years, and and I want you to understand this, that the hill I'm going to die on is that Jesus Christ is exclusively the only way to heaven and that Jesus Christ exclusively paid the sin debt for all humanity, and that Jesus Christ exclusively rose from the grave, and that he ascended up to glory, and he is exclusively going to physically return to this earth again, bring judgment, and establish his kingdom. And we have to stand on that, because that's the message that Jesus preached on this earth. And so I'm just here, I want to challenge us all today, that as our culture exclusively believes nothing today, They exclusively believe every religion is okay except Jesus Christ. They exclusively believe all roads lead to heaven except the one road called the gospel of Christ. And so, my friends, today I want to challenge you to continue to stand firm in what you believe in about Jesus Christ and the word of God. I believe today exclusively that God's word is the only word that teaches us about him and about things to come. But then the Bible goes on to say that, that it says he's, that they, these men, these 12,000 from each tribe equaling 144,000, they have the Father's name written in their foreheads. Now remember, in the book of Revelation, in the King James, sometimes it says in, and sometimes it says on, and it's a word here in the original language that really can be translated either way. And so most likely, just all what it means is upon their forehead, they had the name of God written there. And so I thought about this. Dedicate your life by being sealed by Him. Does that mean we've got to go and get the name of Christ written on our forehead? No, not necessarily. But what it does mean that as we think about this and we think about the entirety of God's word and the New Testament, the apostle Paul spoke about how we are going to be sealed in this time period with the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit comes in and tabernacles inside of us and makes us a new creature. And then we have the promise that we'll be sealed until the day of redemption. That is till the day God calls us home. And today my question for you is this, is does the Holy Spirit of God have residence in your life? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to come and make his manifestation within your being? May I draw your attention out of verses 2 and 3? Remember, believers are called to exclusively dedicate their life to Christ. How do we do that? By standing with him. By being sealed by him. And then, I love verses 2 and 3. Dedicate your life to Christ by singing to Him. Look at verse number two. It's interesting that there are times in the book book of Revelation that when it speaks about these worship songs, it lists out the words. But this is the one unique time that it doesn't do that. Our minds can only speculate what the lyrics are. But John, as he sees this vision on the Mount uh, Zion with these 144,000 men, he begins to hear a voice from heaven. And he describes this voice as being the voice of, of many waters. Growing up, my family, we would go to Douthat State Park for for vacationing, and and at Douthat State Park, they had had this lake there, and they had this waterfall, and there were times that when it was a drought, there was no water coming over the waterfall, but when the water was coming over the waterfall, you walk up to the fencing, and you look out, and you see that, you couldn't talk as normal. You'd have to raise your voice a little higher. If you've ever been to any waterfall, you know like Niagara Falls that it's so loud and it's just continually loud and you need like a megaphone to talk to each other, even if you're standing face to face. And so here John is just saying that, that what he's hearing is a loud noise. But then he mentions these harps, harping on their harps. And so in other words, he's saying it's a loud noise, but it's a beautiful melody. And then in verse number three, he says that he hears this singing as it were a new song before the throne of God going back to Revelation 4 and 5. And he says that that this song was being sung before the four beasts or the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And the Bible says that that no man could learn this song at least on this side of eternity except the 144,000. Who are redeemed from the earth. So we are called to sing to Christ. I wish that I could join in this song, but this is not a song that we're gonna be permitted to sing, at least in this life. I can't wait to hear what this song is all about. My speculation that it's gonna be about redemption because it speaks about the word redeem here. And you understand the word redeem, that that you go to a marketplace and you would purchase something. We don't really have marketplaces today, but if you could just imagine going to Walmart, since Walmart's like right here, and you go to Walmart, you go either to the clothes aisle, or you go to the food aisle, or you go to the electronics aisle, or you go to the outdoors aisle, and you go and you pick something off the shelf, and you take it to the cashier, and you make your transaction there, you're on your way. Well, the Bible speaks about this. In fact, when it speaks about redemption, It's literally going back into the ancient world where they would take men and women and they would place them on the marketplace. And literally, this is a horrific thing to do, but they would literally go and redeem those men and women and buy them and take ownership over them. And so what this word is saying here, it's what it means throughout the New Testament, is that Jesus Christ, when he made that transaction on the cross, he came to buy us out of the slavery of sin. And he's able to do that. Praise God for that. And so because of that capability and power, there's nothing we can do other than bow our hearts before God and worship Him in song. Believers are called to exclusively dedicate their lives to Christ. Have you exclusively dedicated your life to Him? Remember, our key thought today is God calls every believer to dedicate their life to declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And that takes us to the last two verses, verses four and five from our text today, to give a thought, a second thought about how does this passage and these 144,000 servants of God in the tribulation period, how does this all relate to our life today before the tribulation? Well, secondly, believers are called to exclusively declare the truth of Christ. Believers are called to exclusively declare the truth of Christ. That is the calling of our lives. Notice verse 4. Or in fact, in Revelation chapter 7, before we get to verse 4, the Bible speaks about right after the description of these 12,000 from each tribe. In verses 9 and 10 of Revelation chapter 7, the Bible says that John looks and he sees a whole host of multitudes in heaven, and they've been saved. And because of the context of where it's written, scholars and, and people uh, like myself, I'm not really a scholar, but people like myself would, would believe that these were used to share the good news of Christ in this time. And a whole host and a great revival is going to take place through these men. And now we see a unique description about them in verses 4 and verse 5 that wasn't revealed in chapter 7. But as I think about this first part of the verse where it says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Here the Bible speaks about defilement with women. And this does not, notice here, marriage is not written in the language. And of course, a clear understanding of scripture, the Bible speaks about marriage and how marriage is honorable. And especially the Bible says that sex within marriage is Christ honoring and sex outside of marriage is dishonoring to Christ. And here the Bible speaks about this defilement with women that is in this time period in the tribulation it's going to take place. There's going to be people that are living with great sexual perversion. And so here's the thought that I think we should take away with today. Declare the truth by living with purity for Christ. Here the Bible says that these men are going to be so gifted by God and so called to the level of celibacy, at least for this time period. Now, there's two ways of looking at this section of Scripture. You have one thought that says, this is speaking about spiritual purity. That is, in this tribulation period, there's going to be this Antichrist that's going to come on the scene and demand all people to worship him and declare their allegiance to him and receive his mark and only worship him. And so some are going to come and say that they the, that what it means here of not being defiled by women and, and, not, and being virgin, that, that they're just being spiritually pure because there are times in the Old and New Testament alike where the Bible speaks about spiritual adultery. And later, earlier in the book of Revelation, it speaks about that. So that's one way of looking at this. But then the other way is because it speaks about defied with women, a literal phrase, and it speaks about the term virgin, though that is a person who's never known somebody sexually. Here it speaks about this, and so it leads me to believe that they are not just involved in the system and worship of the Antichrist, but they are also chosen by God to be celibate or eunuchs, as the Bible would say. I mean, think about the tribulation period you have all this disaster, you have all these diseases, you have all this death, you have all this destruction, you have all this utter mayhem and catastrophe going on. It's really not the time to have a family. And so God is going to raise up these 144,000 men to be pure in such a way so that they can fully devote all of their energies to the proclamation of the good news. And so under, I, want you, I want us all to understand this, is that when we think about purity, when we think about at some point in our lives, we've all messed up, whether it's thought, whether it's word, or whether it's action. And I want you to understand this. Wherever, wherever you might have messed up in your past, there is forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is when we have sinned, we just have to cry out to God and say, God, forgive me, I have sinned. And the Bible assures us that even though we might have stumbled and fallen in our lives, God can step in and show grace and mercy and love. And then the Bible goes on to say that these are they which follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And these were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. I wrote down another thought I want to share with you. Not only declare the truth by living with purity for Christ, but declare the truth by offering your life daily to Christ. Declare the truth by offering your life daily to Christ. Listen, the Christian life is a marathon, and we have to go through this life for, for the rest of our lives, and it's an everyday battle. It is. The, the, the weeping prophet said in Lamentations, his mercies are renewed every day. Every day we've got to get up and fight this fight. And so here the Bible speaks about this first fruits. It gives us idea in the Old Testament that they would bring their sacrifices and they would offer to God their first fruit. It's kind of garden season. And probably the, the most famed, precious piece of produce in your garden is probably a nice red tomato. You know, those tomatoes that you get in the garden are unlike any tomato that you buy in Walmart or Kroger or Food Lion or any grocery store. They're nice and and red and juicy and large. And they're good. They don't even need salt. They're that good. But imagine you take and you you planted 20 tomato plants in your garden. That's a lot of plants of tomato. So you're going to have a lot of tomatoes. And imagine you go out for your first harvest. And you go in. And instead of indulging in that first harvest, you brought them and placed them right here. At the altar for everybody to have who's in need. That's the idea of first fruits. In the Old Testament, they brought the first fruit of everything to God. And so, here, this whole idea of these, these servants in this tribulation period, they are probably gonna be the first saved gloriously. And then God is gonna seal them in a special way and use them as a first fruits offering. And so, today, as we think about this, Every day we've got to offer our life up to Christ every single day. Every single morning we've got to get up out of the bed and make our life a living sacrifice as Paul said in Romans 12. So my question for you today is, is are you living with purity? Are you living in a way that's, that's offering your life to Christ every day? Those are ways we can declare the truth because we all know that we would rather See a sermon lived out than hear a sermon spoken with words. And then verse 5. The Bible says that in their mouth, in these special servants' mouth, there was no guile. That word in the King James, all it means is deceit. It means taking somebody and tricking them and deceiving them and fooling them with the words that you've said. And so... As we think about this verse, and then it goes on to say that they were without fault or they were blameless before the throne of God. I thought about this. Declare the truth by speaking with honesty for Christ. Listen, we are called to declare the truth of God's word. We are called not to leave anything out. We're not called to go in and deceive and and manipulate and, and trick people and fool people. We are called to just deliver God's word as it is God's word. But the Antichrist is going to have a false prophet with them. The dynamic duo in the tribulation period. And the the false prophet is not going to be speaking with honesty. The false prophet is going to be speaking with guile and deceit and trickery and, and foolishness. He's going to deceive the world to come in and worship this beast, as the Bible says, this Antichrist, and then to take his mark. But these evangelists, are not going to be speaking with deceit. They are going to be speaking with honesty, the truth of God's word. Did you know sometimes it's easier to believe a lie than it is to believe the truth? And the truth of the matter is, is that God is calling you and me to share this good news with the world. And then the Bible says here that they are faultless before the throne of God. That is, they are blameless. It's a similar word used by pastors and deacons. That is, in order to meet those qualifications, you have to be blameless. And and let's just face the facts. There's nobody on this earth that is going to be fully blameless in their life. The only way we're going to ever be able to stand faultless before God's throne is through the mercy of Christ on the cross. And so if you're trying to, to stand before God's throne in your own merit today, my friend, you're going to be full of blame and full of fault and full of sin. But if you're trusting in the work of Christ and the cross, you can stand in great assuredness that you will be faultless before the throne of God. I guess it was about 12 or 13 years ago when I was in Bible college, I was introduced to a book about a missionary, and the book was called Brusco, and it's a book that that was written by Bruce Olson, and it basically tells his missionary journey of going down to South America at the age of 19. You see, Bruce Olson, who's known as Brusco in the book, and Brusco to this indigenous tribe that he went to, he was saved in a dramatic way And the church he was involved in kind of rejected him and shunned him and and didn't think his conversion was sincere. And he felt God's call in such a way to go to a group of people who've never heard the gospel before and who didn't have God's word and to go there and to learn their language, to learn their culture, and to translate God's word into their language. And so at the age of 19 with no mission board, With really no mission support. He packs up his bag. Hops. Somehow God provides a a flight for him to go. And he goes down to South America. Kind of around Colombia and Venezuela. And he was warned that that people are full of violence there. This indigenous tribe called the Motolone Indians. They were violent and they killed people who came in. And if you've ever read the book you know. That he experienced years of disease, years of torture, and years of misfortune. But finally, that indigenous tribe received his word. I remember reading the book, and, and he spoke about how he translated John 14, 6. In our English Bible, it says that Jesus is the way. And the way that he could only describe that phrase in the Bible to this indigenous tribe is that Jesus is the trail that leads to God. Today, I'm not saying that we need to pack up our bags and go to the 1040 window and share the gospel with people who've never heard it before, although that would be a great calling. I believe that that the work that Bruce Olson did is important. But I believe that the work we have to do right here in Roanoke is just as important. So whether God calls you to be a missionary, to go to some tribe that's never heard about Jesus, or that God calls you right here to just be part of this church and be a missionary here in Roanoke, sent out from our church, it is equally as important. God's exclusive preview show is reminding us that in chapter 12 and 13, Satan seems like he has a stronghold on this world. But verse number one of chapter 14 affirms to us that Christ is going to return and he is going to defeat the work of the enemy. He's going to defeat the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he's going to establish his kingdom. And so because of that, we know the future. We know how it's all going to pan out. We know that the bad news is Satan's going to lose and the good news, we are going to win. And so because of that, God calls every believer to dedicate their life to declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you do that today? What's up, guys? Brian here again just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith Keep the faith, keep the faith Keep the faith, keep the faith